It is one that holds great weight and um, is very serious. The seriousness, in fact, now according to the Greek Orthodox Church, that's in Greece, um, believe it or not, um, they hold to a certain tradition about St. Nicholas. Who knows who St. Nicholas is? No, who's St. Nicholas? Santa Claus, yep. So he is the, originally, uh, the original idea for Santa Claus, St. Nicholas. Now, according, and I put in quotation marks because there's a bit of iffiness around it, but it's a cool story, but according to the Greek Orthodox Church, St. Nicholas showed up to a council, the Council of Nicaea, and um, they were discussing this topic um, that we're going to go over today. Um, the God of all creation that became, became human. And there was a guy there that disagreed. And he was an Arianist um, who said that, no, Jesus wasn't actually God. He wasn't divine. And St. Nicholas didn't like that. So he got up and slapped some sense into him. Yes. So you have to look out at Christmas time. If I mess this up, Santa Claus might come down the chimney and give me a slap. <laughs> um, but no, so that is a little bit of a, a legend. They're a bit concerned about the truthfulness of it, but I love the story. I just think it's really funny, this idea. And it was held by the Greek, church, uh, Greek Orthodox Church for a really long time. But it emphasizes the seriousness of it. And I really enjoyed the other day that as a church, we took time to repeat the Nicene Creed because of um, how great a value it holds to us to remind ourselves of some real important truths. And one of them being that Jesus is both God and man. And as I go through this sermon, I might use the term incarnation. Who's heard the term incarnation? Yeah, most of you. It literally means in flesh. So God has come in flesh. So Christ is the incarnation in flesh of God. But yeah, this is so important to us. Now, the Council of Nicaea wasn't the only place that this topic was brought up. This topic was actually present in the early church with the apostles. Um, it was actually the reason Jesus got crucified was because he was claiming that he was God and they didn't believe him, so they crucified him. Um, and there was teachers going around that were spreading misinformation, fake news that Jesus wasn't God. And so the apostles had to write letters to deal with this. But also... Throughout history, there has been incident after incident of different people stepping up and denying God's deity. And we might think, well, that was back then, but the reality is, is that it is happening in Hamilton today. And so as a church, we really need to hold on to the truthfulness of this teaching because it is a clear foundation and a cornerstone to our faith. We need to hold on to it strongly. And I'm not naming names, but there, is, there has been an incident 
where a church in Hamilton has had to let somebody go because they stopped believing this. That's how serious, it, how rife it is right now in Hamilton, that people are actually coming in and saying, no, Jesus isn't God. But he is. And every year, in our Advent season, we take time to remind ourselves that yes, Jesus is both God and man. So thank you, Emily, for reading Colossians. That is one text that deals with it, and we will get to that. But before we go there, I actually want to read another text, which is very similar, but comes from another apostle. So Colossians was written by Paul, and then the book of John was written by John, one of Jesus' disciples. And we know it was John because he referenced himself as the most... Was, no, he referenced himself as the disciple who Jesus loved the most. <laughs> A little bit braggy. <laughs> but yeah, we're going to jump in at John chapter 1, verses 1 to 15. So if you have Bibles, open them up, and we'll um, dig into it. Now, I chose to read from the NLT version because I love the way it translates a few of these words. Um, but yeah, read along, and I will deal to the different um, translations that might be present and as we go through. So let's read. John 1, chapter 1, right through to 15. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. A man came, one set from God, and his name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. This was the true light, that coming into the world enlightens every person. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, his, and his own people did not accept him. But as many received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word, of God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and, he saw his glory, and we saw his glory, glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace. And truth. Sorry, that's stopping at verse 14. Um, there is so much to unpack. So I'm going to go quickly, but um, I encourage you when you get home to open both 1 Colossians and um, John chapter 1 
and read through these verses again and mirror them and look at them and how they um, support each other. These key um, truths that the apostles are trying to relay. So as we open up in uh, verse 1, we get hit with a simile, a metaphor, a parallel of, of a term. In the beginning, the, the Word already existed, and the Word was with God. This term word in the Greek refers to logos, and logos is an interesting term because it's not just some written word, but rather it is the un, or it is the spoken, but it is the deep inner thought that someone holds. So it ties closely into being present with God. So the word was, was with God, and the word was God. So this idea, this term, this logos, was both with God and present in him, predating everything. And this idea, this word, this logos, is what God used to create the world, to create everything. This idea, this word, this logos, was not created that was the thing that created. This is a really important thing because a lot of people want to point to Jesus' birth as being the start, but actually the start was well before the earth was even created. The start was present with God eternally, always being And as we carry to read through into verses 4 and 5, John comes in and uses a different term to describe this idea. He moves from the word and goes to the light. The light shines in the darkness. Now what is cool about both these terms, the word and the light, is they actually echo the Old Testament. So when you read Genesis 1 with an idea of verses 1 to 5, you can see it present. Because God spoke and the world was created. And what was the first thing he created? The light. To show that there was a difference between light and darkness. Now again, I'm not saying that God created Jesus then at the moment of the light. (laughs) The light was always present with God. But there is this idea that there's a separation there. And as we carry to read through the Old Testament, we can see light and darkness continually used as to say good and evil, especially within the Psalms. So what John is wanting to do is to highlight here this prophetic expectation of the Messiah, of who he is and how he's coming to the world. 
he's trying to point to us to show us that this person that we talk about, Jesus, was carried all through the Old Testament, pointing oh, for this very time at which Jesus was born. All those messages, all those prophecies pointed to Jesus. Now, in that idea of the prophetic comes um, the man, John the Baptist, who is different from the writer of this book. John the Baptist was already dead by the time this book was written. But John the Baptist came to tell and prepare the way for Jesus to come. Prepare the way. And he recognized that this Messiah that was coming was far greater than he was. John saw him as the one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone. He saw him as the one that was going to come and fix the problems that had been present. And we had that lesson from Craig last week. And we've been learning about that all through this year. That there's this problem. Sin and how it's entered this world. And when we look at the ways of the Old Testament of dealing with that sin, nothing was satisfying. And so Israel as a nation was yearning for the Messiah, someone that could finally fix it, someone that was more powerful and beyond the sacrifices that had already been made, more perfect than the lambs they would kill, more powerful than the heifers. Now, John was pointing to someone that was beyond creation. So the word became human. This logos, this idea became human. Willingly humbled himself. You see, Jesus wasn't as a word, as logos, as present of the Trinity, wasn't um, bound to human nature as such before he was born. That made it really confusing then, sorry. (laughs) Before Jesus was born, he was with God and was not bound to his human nature yet. He was not growing older, he was not becoming sick, he was perfect, he was beyond creation. So for him to step down and be born as a baby was him humbling himself to actually live like one of us. And yes, we looked at a stable as just a thing of him being born in a humble place, but the reality is is that anywhere on earth would not have been perfect enough for God to live or to be born into. The fact that he allowed himself to enter a body and become human is just amazing. So he came as a human and made a home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. 
And we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So what happened for about 33 years was we had God walking around in a human body showing us who the Father is like and what God is like. And that is amazing. Like, it's incomprehensible in a way that God would allow himself to do that, to, to go through puberty, right? The eternal God that is beyond creation allowed himself to go through puberty, to, to grow, to feel growing pains, to, to catch a cold, to get sick, to get hungry and thirsty. But that's what he did. I mean, God, who created everything, has control over everything, that holds it all in balance, he was willing to humble himself in that way. But why? And I've already said it. Because we needed a plan that was greater than what had already happened. We needed something more. Those lambs that were being sacrificed, those heifers, all the temple system was still failing. Sin was still a problem. We still had a broken relationship with God that continually needed to be fixed. It needed a final solution. The problem just needed to be dealt with. Because that's what God wanted. He wanted to have a relationship with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. He wants to bring us back to that true relationship that was broken. That was broken in the garden and and we have been suffering ever since. And the reality is, is that man couldn't fix it. And whenever I read this, I always think to the story of Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham taking Isaac up onto the mountain to sacrifice him. And God stopping it there. And a lot of people talk about that story from the point of faith of Abraham, believing that God would step in or some miracle would happen. But the reality of why it didn't happen was was that sacrifice wasn't going to be worth anything. Isaac's death couldn't pay the price because he still had sin. No, Isaac's death wouldn't have done anything. No, it needed something a lot more powerful, a lot more weighty than just a man. And so I'll hit it home again. We needed a final solution, and that final solution was actually God stepping up to the plate. It was actually God standing in place of us. Because nothing that we could do or anybody else could ever satisfy the debt of sin. Nothing. 
So this is what God did. He sent his son to die for us. And it had to be God's son. It couldn't be anyone else. It had to be a man that was both fully man and fully God. And as we've already heard from Emily in Colossians 1, um, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you because that's just going to take too much time. (laughs) But um, we can look back to the garden and we can see that the promise at the end of Colossians points us back to the garden. So picking up in verse 21, after... Paul has said this wonderful Christology, this wonderful um, statement about who Christ is, very similar to John. In um, verse 21 he says, This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him, by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body, As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are are holy and blameless as you stand behind him without a single fault. You see, why did Jesus have to come? Well, that's it right there. Christ had to do it. He had to pay the price. He had to die in his physical body, body so that we could be reconciled back to God so that we could return to the relationship pre-fall, to that perfect relationship where we could walk with God in the garden. And Paul saw this need and John saw this need for their believers to understand us. And their biggest concern, well, one of their big concerns was that there were all these different groups of people coming in and trying to water it down. They wanted to water it down. Why? Well, two reasons I see. The first reason I see people wanting to water down the fact that Jesus was both fully God and fully man comes to the fact that Christ humbled, or God had to humble himself. And they can't make the comprehend, or they can't comprehend, they can't make it work in their head that God was willing to do that. Why? Because why would an amazing creator God be willing to step down and live like us and die for us? So they struggle to comprehend how God could humble himself. And the second reason I see is that true salvation sets you free from the law. True salvation sets you free from the rules and the control of the law. And we can live in true freedom in Christ. Because he has paid the price for us. But there are people out there that don't want to let go of that control. One, because they want to control people that are around them. But also those people that are around them will accept that control because it works as a nice safety barrier. Now, I'm a typical man. When something needs to be fixed, sometimes it's just easier if you fix it yourself. 
And I feel like we can bring that into our story of salvation sometimes. It's just easier if I can just fix it myself. I'll tell you what, I'll do a whole pile of um, prayers. I'll go give all this money to the poor. I'll go do all these things that feel really good and look like I'm fixing the problem, but aren't actually dealing with it in my heart. And that's what God does, is he just takes it away and he replaces us. And I love it in Colossians where it says, we stand behind him. So on judgment day, when we're standing, facing an almighty God and he looks at us, we say, oh, sorry. Here you go, look at this fella. He did it because I couldn't. And he willingly chose to do it for me. He willingly chose to step down to earth, and I'll say it again, the eternal God that knows no change was willing to step into a human life for 30 years and go through the, a lot of change. And he was lucky. He didn't have to grow old and go through his body really falling apart. But he didn't have a horrible death. <laughs> but, um, you know, he went for it. I mean, I'm 31 now. I've been a little bit further away from puberty. But that idea of God going through that, willingly allowing his body to go through so much change. Ah, I have my sons coming to me even now at um, five, and they're complaining about growing pains. Right? My legs are sore, Dad. I can't sleep. They just ache. How foreign is that to a God that has never changed? Never had to deal with growing pains. Willingly sat in that, and He walked our life, uh, walked a life alongside us. And although and although people want to deny Jesus as God head for whatever reason, for Jesus being God and being man, um, I'm really grateful he was. You know, I'm really grateful that he knows what it's like to walk this earth. Because he understands our lives. He's able to have that real relationship with us. He's not some clockmaker that just put something together one day because he thought it would be fun and went, oh, look at that, you know? He's not the model ship maker that puts that model ship in a glass bottle and sets it up on his shelf. No. He interacts with his creation. He loves his creation. He feels for his creation. He longs for his creation. He longs so much that he was willing to do that. And because of that, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, we get some of the most comforting verses that we could ever read. So chapter 4, verse 14 says, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness, for he faced 
all the same testings we do. Yet, he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Here we have Jesus who is able to sympathize with us. I think we're quite detached from what it is to have a high priest sometimes, especially coming from outside of Christianity. But when I went to high school, I went to a Catholic high school. And there we had priests. And they had got a little bit more okay about this. But when we look at the emblems on the table, they would hold it with such high um, high respect that they were the only ones that would touch it and bless it and work with it. And when we go back a few hundred years ago, it was even more so that if you were in a Catholic church, you wouldn't have been able to even come up and receive communion. It was only for the priests to practice it. But that isn't who Jesus is. He's not a high priest that sits reserved holding things away from us, but a high priest that freely freely gives all things to us because he knows the struggle of what it is to be human. He knows the struggle of what it is to be hungry and to be tempted. After his baptism, he walks into a desert and he spends 40 days fasting and praying. I can't go a day, (laughs) let alone a week or 40 days, but he did. And the crazy thing is, is that yes, Satan showed up, and yes, Satan said, turn a a rock into bread. Now, if I was out in the bush, and I was out in a desert starving myself, and Satan said, do this, I would have to go, well, no, I can't. (laughs) I don't have the power to turn a rock into bread. But Jesus did. <laughs> that was a reality for him. He, he had the power to do, to do things that we couldn't. So even for him to suffer like he did, he didn't even need to do that. 40 days in the desert, he could have just had a buffet. He could have called down some angels to set up a barbecue. (laughs) And he could have had more meat than they did uh, yesterday at the men's function. (laughs) But no, he willingly sat there and suffered. So, I want you guys to go out this week and as you think and as you go back and read these scriptures and as you meditate on them and think about them, really sit in them. Really feel what it is that Jesus, this eternal being, willingly came down to us and did what he did. And as we look at all these wonderful Christmas things that are standing around us, the lights on the tree, star on top of it, 
as we participate today now in communion, let's keep that in mind. This is a time we celebrate that an eternal creator God became a man so that we could have relationship with him. And if anybody ever challenges you around God's deity, oh, Jesus' deity, of Jesus being fully God and fully man, just warn them. Santa Claus might come down your uh, chimney and slap you one. It won't be coal. It'll be much worse than that. No. Um, (laughs) Graciously introduce them to what Jesus is and who he is and the power that he has. Let's pray, eh? Heavenly Father, we just, (laughs) we thank you. you. You did what no man would normally do. You died for enemies of you. You gave your life up for things that were so much lower, so much less than who you are. And you walked with us, and you bled for us, and you gave a way for us to be able to return to who return to you in the way it should be. You didn't have to do this. You didn't need to do this. But you chose to do it because you want relationship with us, Lord. You want us to be your children. So we ask as as we go out into this week that you would bless us and keep us safe. In your mighty and precious name, amen.